Thank you, Ethan, and thank you all for starting your week here at Wilshire with us. You can look around and tell we still have several members who are out traveling and taking an extra break with their extra holiday tomorrow, and so we wish them well and safety, and we are always grateful for the people who join us online. Uh, we are glad to have you with us. And speaking of online stuff, there's been a lot of conversations about worshiping online, and there's, there's, no, there's no better thing than being present in worship. But technology has allowed us for people to worship online who maybe cannot or should not be present with us, and so we're very grateful for those who are doing that. It's also a great avenue for members, uh, former members of Wilshire. Every now and then we get a call from someone who once worshipped here who gets to join us online, and that's always neat. Uh, And we get calls from people Notes from people who have never been part of Wilshire, never walked in the church building, but they have found our services online, and we are grateful for them to join us as well. I also noticed there's another benefit to worshiping online, to having our online services out there. Let's say you're a preacher and your wife is out of town, and you can't remember how you dressed last Sunday. You can get online and see. It's a very convenient thing. Technology is beautiful. Well, Jim has been taking us through this series titled Hard Love, and I want to keep going this morning. And this morning's text and topic fit perfectly, not only with that theme, but also with what's happening around us in our culture and the holiday. Now, it's It's not always that all three things land perfectly. You know, the cool preachers like to be current, and they like to preach whatever's happening in the news, and and you show up on Sunday and you get their hot take on it. Other preachers like to be relevant, so when it's a holiday, it doesn't matter what what their series is, we'll push pause and put the series on hold, and then we'll talk about Mother's Day or Father's Day. But sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle. And they all three come together at once, your, your topic, your series, the news, and the holiday. And today we've caught lightning in a bottle. So I want to invite you to open your Bible to that text that Brady read so well earlier in our worship service, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because in an act of providence, I think, is, I mean, To be honest with you, Jim and I aren't that smart to plan this well. It just sometimes happens. Tomorrow marks the 246th celebration of our country's independence from Great Britain. If you remember all the way back to fourth grade social studies, the Continental Congress signed the Declaration of Independence on July 2nd, 1776, and then it was more widely accepted and formally accepted on July 4th. And and that Declaration of Independence unpacked a list of grievances against Britain and her king. Taxation without representation, quartering of troops, all sorts of things that they said, we've had it, we're done, we're calling this thing off and starting our own nation. So tomorrow, if you happen to be in say, Boston, Massachusetts, 
someone is going to walk out and stand on the balcony of the old state house, and they're going to read those famous words of the Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was a remarkable moment in the development of human governments. That governments can only operate, that governments should only uh, operate based on the consent of the governed. That we get to say who our leaders will be. We get to decide what our laws will be. It was a pretty remarkable event in history. And those words are preserved right next to the Constitution of the United States. So if you were to go from Boston, Massachusetts, and wander down to Washington, D.C., you could walk in the National Archives, and you can see the original documents there, the Declaration and the Constitution. They're getting old and they're getting faded, but you can still stand behind this thick glass that preserves these documents. And what's remarkable is, if you ever get the chance to go to D.C. and to go to the National Archives, it's, it's one of my favorite places to visit in D.C., but you feel like you're walking into a temple. It was literally built to feel like a temple to democracy. It's got the same aura, the same lighting, the same grandeur about it. And so people have believed that these documents are sacred. In fact, in a Senate hearing recently, there was a man who said his faith leads him to believe those documents were inspired. Now listen, I think it's, it's a pretty good advancement of rights and history. They're not inspired. Scripture is inspired. God's Spirit breathed the words of Scripture. But even as advanced and as welcomed as those documents are, they're not inspired. And we've seen throughout our history that even though those words are powerful, that all men are created equal, that our people have struggled to uphold that declaration. Yet tomorrow we're going to celebrate by barbecues and parades. If, if you lived in my neighborhood, Doug and Loretta live next to me, for like a week before July 4th and two weeks after July 4th, people blow their life savings on fireworks. And they don't pick the little, loud, the little ones. They pick the kind that when it goes off, it rattles your house. And they like to set these off, say, I don't know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., to celebrate this independence. So that's one thing. It's our cultural moment. It's the holiday, so why not have a sermon about the holiday? At the same time, in the last week or two weeks, in the news, in the politics, has been this basic debate about rights. That's what our founding is about. We have these rights that's been given to us by God. 
And so over the last few weeks, court decisions and debates have been going on within our country about just the nature of those rights. So just this last week, the court, the Supreme Court, handed down a decision about whether or not a school teacher could go and pray on a football field. And one side says, well, that's his right. And the other side says, yeah, but he's a teacher. And and so we fought about the rights of a person. For several weeks, we've debated in our culture about the right to bear arms. Because, see, that one's there in the Second Amendment of our Constitution. And some crazed man walks into a school and guns down children. And people began to argue, well, it's my right to own a gun, or it's not my right to own certain guns. It's all about my rights. And then, of course, the one that's got everyone up in arms, the right to an abortion. And a court comes down and says it's not a right of privacy, and it's not a right. And immediately both sides jump and start fighting about my rights. You can't tell me what to do with my body, or you can't tell me what to do with that life that's in the womb. And everybody's fighting about the same thing. And ironically, they're making the same argument. And the same argument is rights, my right. You can't tell me what to do. It's my right, and I'm not going to hand it over to you. And then there's 1 Corinthians 8. And in our series, we've been talking about hard love. Love is not always easy. In fact, love is often difficult. And in the midst of all these cultural debates, I've been concerned that Christians have forgotten which kingdom we're a part of. Because as you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul gives us a lesson in hard love that is not compatible with any other kingdom around. What's happening in Corinth may, on the surface at least, seem kind of frivolous. Because what they talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is whether you can eat meat offered to an idol or not. Now, come on. Think about the problems in our culture. Guns, abortion, the right to pray. Think about the issues in 1 Corinthians. They're fighting about uh, spiritual gifts. Can you speak in tongues? Can you not speak in tongues? Who can prophesy? Who can't prophesy? They've had this debate in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 about whether or not a man can sleep with his father's wife. Are you kidding me? And and in the middle of all of that debate, Paul is going to take time to argue over what kind of meat you can eat, over where you can eat that meat, where you can purchase that meat. I mean, it may be an important topic, it may be an interesting topic, but how does eating meat land in the same conversation of sexual relationships and spiritual gifts? One of these things doesn't seem like the other. Except at the heart of whether you can eat meat or not is a question of attitude and approach. 
You see, because in Corinth, there was this debate unfolding because there were some Christians who had not been Christians long, and they had come out of a background that was not connected to God, not connected to to any spiritual realm that the Jewish people would be familiar with. They had grown up going to these temples, worshiping these gods, all sorts of gods. And one of the important things to do in your worship to these other gods is to offer a sacrifice of meat somehow. And what usually happened is you would go to one of these temples and you would bring something to sacrifice, a bull or a goat or something meat-worthy, and, and you would offer this to the God, and then you would share this food with your friends and neighbors. And there was usually enough meat left over that the temple didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't eat it all. I mean, Jerry Noblin shoots a moose, and he feeds the whole church with a moose. Right? And, and these people in first century Corinth are bringing these animals for sacrifice, and after the meal, you've got this food left over. And so... Sometimes, oftentimes, they would take it to the marketplace and sell it. And so you could buy meat at the temple. Or also usually the case was you might be invited to go with that family or with that friend to eat that meat in the temple. And these Gentile Christians who had come to faith in Jesus Christ said, I can't do that. Because I used to worship that God, and I can't walk in there. I can't eat that food. It bothers my conscience. Some people also believe that demons actually dwelt in the meat itself. And so that in partaking of that meat, you were taking in that God. But they're saying, but it's not a God, it's a demon. And I want nothing to do with that. I can't consciously do what I think that is implying. But you also had Christians in Corinth who said, get over yourself. We know, as you read 1 Corinthians, you can find in different places, it sounds like Paul is quoting the Jewish brethren. And their argument tends to be, grow up. There's only one God, the Hebrew Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. There's only one God. And don't you understand that whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, it doesn't change your relationship with God. And besides, you're not going to tell me what I can do. It's my right to eat what I want to eat. And I'm not going to let you in your weak faith, in your ignorant faith, come along and tell me that I should not eat meat that's been offered to an idol. Because I'm more mature than that. Now do you see why it's a problem? Now do you see why that issue lands on the same plane as spiritual gifts and sexual immorality? Now we have to be honest, and the rights that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians, it's a different conversation than a constitutional republic, like our Declaration of Independence and Constitution. They're two different things. Paul did not live in first century Rome that was dictated by any idea or conception of individual rights between an individual and a government. They're two different conversations. They did not believe in Rome that we are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. And even if they did, there would have been fight over which creator it was. 
But what is the same between Paul's world and our world is this argument that my rights are more important than anything else. This concept that what I want and what I think and what I feel like I deserve trumps anything else that anyone else feels or anyone thinks. And so this church in Corinth is being torn apart by people demanding their rights. And the conversations were ugly. I remember sitting around a table with a bunch of gentlemen discussing our views on a particular issue. And when it got to me, they asked me, well, what do you think about such and such issue? So I began to tell them. And one of the men across the table smirked at me, and he laughed, and he said, well, I used to believe that before I matured. I wish I could tell you that I handled that well. But imagine going to church with people, and you've got a brother or sister in Christ who says, I can't do that. Because it, it hurts my faith. Because I honestly, sincerely believe that there are demons at work in that meat. Or that there are demons present in that temple. And I'm not walking in there to do that. And some other brother walking in and saying, grow up. There's only one God. Food doesn't change anything. And that brother says, I can't do it. And then he shakes his finger in his face. He says, well, then you sit down and you be quiet because my rights are more important than your rights. Don't you dare tell me what I can do and what I can't do. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Find another church. But as for me and my house, we will eat meat. And Paul writes 1 Corinthians. And he says, let me remind you of a few very important things. Jesus died for that brother. And if Jesus is willing to die for that brother, what are you willing to do for that brother? We are not modeled as the kingdom of God after anything that claims rights for ourselves. We are modeled after a Jesus who gave up everything to die for us. Paul will repeat this argument, Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant. And he gave his life for us. Jesus left heaven. He left his claim to the full equality of God. And he walked among us. He gave up everything. And you won't even give up your dinner you won't even give up your menu. You're willing to push your brother out of the church and destroy their faith because you want to eat meat that's cheap? 
That's not the kingdom we follow. Your rights are not God's highest priority. So Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 paints a radical different view of the world. And he gives you two ways to determine what to do with your rights. What brings glory to God and what brings others to Jesus. Read 1 Corinthians 8, it's there. Meat, it doesn't bring you closer to God or farther from God. And if you cannot eat meat and still be just as close to God, don't eat meat. Give it up for the sake of your brother. Because our mission is not about my rights and my wants and my desires. Our mission is about God's purpose and God's kingdom. And if you are more willing to cling to your rights than you are to the cause of God, we found the problem. Paul says, what brings glory to God? That's what you pursue. That's what you cling to. That's what you never give up. And what brings others to Christ? Sure, Paul says, I don't have any problem eating meat. I can eat meat in the temple. I can eat meat bought from the temple. Just don't tell me where it came from. We're, we're good. But if I know that it's going to be a, a stumbling block to my brother, my brother is more important than my rights. Look at the last thing he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, last verse. If meat causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat it. Well, Paul, it's your right. Paul, there's only one God. Paul, food has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Paul says, I know. But if it causes my brother to stumble, I'll no longer eat meat as long as the world stands. And you turn your Bible one chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul begins talking about Another argument that's going on. And for a moment, it sounds like he's left the debate and moved on to another issue. But he hasn't. Because there are people making fun of Paul or questioning Paul. But why aren't you married, Paul? Why don't you take money for your ministry, Paul? And Paul says, oh, I have the right to do that. If I wanted to carry a wife around, I could do that. If I wanted to be paid, the Old Testament says, don't muzzle the, the ox that treads on the corn. I could do that. It's my right. But I've given that up. And when I, when I am with the Jews, I live as a Jew. And when I'm with the Gentile, I become as someone who's outside of the law, though I'm really following God. But I, I can give up my rights for that. In fact, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means gain some. Because our, my rights aren't what's most important. The gospel of Christ is what's most important. The kingdom of God is what's most important. My brother and sister's faith is what's most important. What brings glory to God and what brings Jesus to others? Do we love our rights more than we love the people around us?
I know that sounds un-American. And I know to say a sermon like this on the 4th of July sounds non-patriotic. Please don't misunderstand me. I am grateful to live in a country that on paper says we believe all men are created equal and that governments are instituted by the consent of the governed. A country that claims freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I'm happy to be here. But our commitment to Christ must be greater than our commitment to our country. And even our rights. We are members of a greater kingdom. And I believe we defend the rights of the less fortunate and of the hurting. And I believe that there are complicated arguments in all of the issues that our culture is, is wrestling with. On any given Sunday, there are five attorneys present in this church. If you want to talk about the legal ramifications of this ruling or that ruling, go see them. It's a fascinating debate. But if your central argument to any issue in culture is based on my right, then can I invite you to read the story of Jesus again? There are complicated issues, and I'm not going to pretend there aren't. And you might be shocked to hear my opinion on most of these issues. I'll spare you that today. But what I want you to know is that our central concern as God's people is what brings glory to God and what brings others to Jesus. And if we ever venture away from that footing, then we've walked away from the kingdom of God and we've traded it for the kingdoms of men. It sounds like a foolish idea, and it also sounds like a hard idea, but brothers and sisters, love is hard. Going to church can be hard, and it can be messy, because I guarantee you, based on my emails and based on my conversations, that of all the issues in our culture that straining at our nation, every viewpoint is also in this auditorium this morning. There are people who believe this decision was right and people who believe this decision was wrong. People who believe our government should do this and people who believe our government should do that. And if we were to talk about those issues, it would be very tense and uncomfortable. Unless, of course, we were more concerned about the kingdom of God than we were about our rights. Have you ever gone to dinner with somebody and they bring out the ticket? You had a nice meal and you maybe even got dessert Maybe got an appetizer. I mean, you went all out. And then the waiter or waitress walks in and they, they place the ticket on the table. 
And the person across the table says, I'm not going to pay for that. You get this. And then the other person says, I'm not going to get this. You get this. You ever been in one of those situations? Some of you had. We've been in it together. You're paying for my lunch. When I go to dinner with my father-in-law, it's the opposite. My father-in-law is one of these guys that if he takes you to lunch, he will not let you pay. It gets kind of awkward. Some of you had lunch with my father-in-law. He won't let you pay. They bring the ticket. He's paying for it. And you say, no, I'll take that. And he says, no, I'm paying for it. And you pull your money out of the wallet. And he hands the, he, I don't know how he does it, but he always gets the money to the waitress, the waiter. Now think about the different tone in those quote-unquote arguments. You're going to sacrifice for me versus I'm going to sacrifice for you. You see the difference? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the the argument shouldn't be you're going to sacrifice for me. Paul says it ought to be After the model of Jesus, I'm going to sacrifice for you. What a profound change in how the people of God conduct ourselves. There will be people who try to take advantage of this. They'll try to manipulate you into saying, well, I guess I'm the weaker brother, so you better give in to what I want. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about modeling the sacrificial servanthood of Jesus Christ. So as you go about your week, and as you listen to the debates, whenever the issue of rights comes up, ask yourself these two questions. What brings glory to God, and what brings others to Jesus? And then you will know what to do with your rights. That's the calling of Scripture. This morning I offer the invitation in the name of Jesus Christ who gave up everything for us. He had every claim to every right and every privilege and he said, what brings glory to God And what brings others to me? And the answer to that question, those two questions, was a cross. He gave up everything so that you could gain everything. If you need to take Jesus on in baptism today, or if you need to recommit your life to him, we offer this invitation in his name together while we stand and sing.